Hello and welcome to the Local Myth Storian podcast with me, Eli Lewis Lysett, where we explore the extraordinary local histories of Cheshire, Derbyshire and Staffordshire. For this episode, we're travelling over to the market town of Bakewell in the Derbyshire Dales and getting to grips with the story of witchcraft, skullduggery and teleportation that has been remembered to history as one of the most unique tales of the witch craze period. So unique, in fact, that many have come to believe it never happened at all. Well... Let's find out. Bakewell is a picturesque market town in the heart of the Derbyshire Dales, and it makes a great base for exploring the surrounding area. Maybe a day trip to Chatsworth House or Haddon Hall, and it's famous for its pudding or its tart, depending on who you ask. Not to mention its place in the history of the Industrial Revolution. Richard Arkwright, the father of the factories, came into the town in the late 1700s and helped transform its economic fortunes forever. But we start at the Old House Museum, a Tudor building from 1534 that began life as home of local tax collector Ralph Jam. And the very spot we specifically begin at is in the doorway of what is now the gift shop, where two double V's sit atop one another carved into the wood. These are witch marks. The two V's, which appear to look like a W, actually stand for the Virgin of Virgins, an invocation of the protection of the Mother of Christ, and act as a subtle signpost to events in the town in the year of 1608. Witch marks are found in lots of old buildings, typically in that double V formation, or sometimes as a hexafoil, a kind of daisy with a central core. And these marks are designed to protect the threshold into a building. So you'll find them on doorways, window frames. And if you ever find yourself in an old building from the 1500s, if you look closely enough, you'll probably find some of these marks. It's a form of what's known as apotropaic protection, a kind of folk magic against evil spirits. It's been used the world over. But these marks aren't just limited to houses. You'll find them in churches, sometimes on the outside by the windows, and even in caves at Creswell Crags, which isn't too far away from Bakewell. They found hundreds of witch marks that for a long time were taken as some kind of antique graffiti from the Victorian age, but I now thought potentially to date to far earlier times, protecting the living outside the cave from the spirits rising from the deep. And as I say, at Bakewell, this could be linked to things that happened there in the early 1600s in reference to the town's connection to the witch craze. Throughout the later medieval period, the idea of witchcraft was more of a curiosity than a concern. Old folk beliefs and practices inherent in the local population. But that all changed come 1486, when a book was published in Europe, known as Malleus Maleficarium, The Hammer of Witches, by Henrik Kramer. Inspired by the sentiment shared in the book of Exodus, you shall not permit a sorceress to live. Upon publication, the perception of those accused of practising witchcraft dramatically shifted. Suddenly, practitioners of witchcraft, or those perceived to be, were legitimate targets for persecution. And steadily, over the next 50 years or so, tackling the issue of witchcraft in any given community became a kind of sport, practised by those who could use it to curry favour with the powers that be. And come 1599, King James IV of Scotland, who would soon become King James I of England, published his own work on the subject entitled Demonology. King James was fascinated by witchcraft 
and had directly overseen the trials in North Berwick in Scotland, with a group of alleged witches that he blamed for the trials and tribulations of a journey across the Channel that his betrothed had suffered years earlier. And this idea that witches can somehow influence the weather has stayed with us for hundreds of years, even during the Second World War. There were stories doing the rounds about groups of witches or mediums trying to influence the weather to prevent the Germans from invading. And it's against this swirling ideological whirlpool that the Bakewell story was born. For come the early 1600s, the whole topic was very much in vogue. And the story connected to the Bakewell witches, amongst the dozens of recorded trials of the time, is unique and to some quite bizarre, and has been passed down in history to us courtesy of two retellings of the story that I'm going to relay now from an 1892 publication of Bygone Derbyshire, a book that was edited by a noted author of various local works, William Andrews. The first telling. Mrs Stafford, a milliner of Bakewell, kept there a lodging house. Early one morning, as one of the lodgers, a Scotchman, was lying awake while it was yet dark, he perceived through the clefts of his chamber floor rays of bright light. Peering down through one of the crevices, he recognised his landlady and a female companion in the room below, dressed as though for a journey. As he crouched over the hole, he heard Mrs Stafford repeat these strange words. Over thick, over thin now, devil, to the cellar in Lunnan. On the instant, all was silence and darkness. They had gone. The Scotchman, startled at the occurrence, wondered what there might be in the lines and mechanically endeavoured to repeat them. Through thick, through thin, now devil, to the cellar in Lunnan, and through, instead of over, it was. For a hurricane swept him up and whirled him away, half naked as he was, and in a moment confused and tattered to ribbons, he found himself sat by the side of the two witches, in a cellar, lighted by a dim lamp. The witches were busily engaged in tying up parcels of silk and similar goods, which he somehow understood they had lifted from shops as they passed along their aerial flight through the city for he instinctively knew he was in London. The witch, Mrs Stafford, handed him some wine, and upon drinking it, he immediately became unconscious. When he came to his senses, he found himself alone in the cellar. Shortly after, he was taken into custody by a watchman, and being hauled before a justice, was charged with being found in an unoccupied house with felonious intent. Asked by the justice where his clothes were, he replied that they were at the house of one Mrs Stafford, at Bakewell, in Derbyshire. Bakewell? Derbyshire, cried the astounded justice, have you walked hence, clothed, but with that shirt torn in such a manner? I came, I know not how, but Mrs Stafford came hither in like fashion. I was at bed at three o'clock this present morning in Mrs Stafford's house in Bakewell. I repeated certain words used by Mrs Stafford and her sister, and I think I came to London, as I have said, by those means. But they have gone back, and I suppose in a like manner as they came. This, said his worship, is very clearly a case of witchcraft. Take down the depositions of this worthy man. See that he be provided with apparel. Lay information before the justices of Derbyshire to the end that these witches may be committed to jail, tried according to the evidence and duly executed. The second telling. In the year 1608, a Scotchman, whose name has not come down to us, lodged at the house of a Mrs Stafford, an industrious milliner of Bakewell. With her there lived, as her assistant, a person who was a sister or a female friend. 
The Scotchman got into arrears with his rent, and by leaving his lodgings, Mrs. Stafford detained some of his clothes as a loo. We know tongs in the early days of King James I were likely to have been more unpolished in their usage than they are now, and it is far from unlikely that some biting words took place, perhaps on both sides. At all events, the Scotchman, gravitating by the laws of nature to London, there conceived the diabolical plan of vengeance he so successfully carried out. He retired to a cellar, stripped himself, hid his clothes, and attracted the attention of the watch. On being subjected to the interrogations of the worshipful member of the bench, he invented a story of how, imitating a magic spell of Mrs. Stafford, he had, in the twinkling of an eye, been transported over no less than five counties to find himself in the company of the two witches. Days had been when all men, save Macbeth, feared witches. They had now come to a time when they were more hated than feared. Nearly every man in authority was called upon at one time or another to decide upon cases of witchcraft, and it was but an imitation of the silly and superstitious king for each man to take pride in being a witch-finder or a witch-examinator. The London Justice was an extreme specimen of such foolish cruelty, and set the cumbrous but dreadful effective machinery of the law in motion. The ex-lodger had his revenge. The witches of Bakewell were hanged, an account from one of the most deplorable and disgraceful periods in English history. So it's the details of this case of the Bakewell witches, the teleportation across the country at night, which have combined with a comparative lack of recorded evidence of this witch trial case. To me, many folks have just thought it was too bizarre, too outlandish, too strange a tale to be based in reality. But there's a couple of avenues we can go down here at this point that can really tie the whole thing together in understanding the story of the Bakewell Witches. In England during the period, there were about 500 or so trials of witchcraft, and about 112 of those resulted in executions and hanging. No one in England was burnt at the stake for witchcraft, that was predominantly more in Scotland. And because of that rambunctious nature and enthusiasm and zealous streak in those who were persecuting witches, for all those reasons to do with bolstering their own local authority, and of course currying political favour with the king, particularly during the early 1600s, such cases are quite well attested. Taking a broad view of all those cases, in truth, there's nothing that bizarre about the story of the Bakewell Witches when we hold it against the things that were happening in trials at the time. In short, it's not weird enough to have been made up. This is a time when we've got witch trials taking place that accuse people of all sorts of things. Knitting animals that come to life. Suckling the devil at a woman's breast. And there's familiars running everywhere. Familiars being these animals that were kind of companions of the witch and helped them do the bidding. It's a bizarre literary canon that you can explore that goes on forever when it comes to witchcraft during the period. And this is before we've even got to people like Matthew Hopkins much later in the 17th century, the so-called Witchfinder General. So yeah, the idea of Mrs. Stafford muttering this incantation and then taking flight via teleportation to London, isn't that strange? A big part of the reason why people haven't been able to look back in too much detail at the Bakewell Witches is a lot of the assize records, the travelling court circuit for Derbyshire, have been destroyed. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. In the work of the American medievalist and historian Professor Richard Kaikafer, and the compendium in his work, European Witch Trials, Their Foundations in Popular and Learned Culture, 
He takes examples of trials from the 11th century right through to the 1860s. And whilst the explosion of accounts around the period of the Bakewell case is worth noting, of particular interest is a specific entry for 1607 in Derbyshire, which simply reads as several hanged. Now this correlates almost exactly with the time of the Bakewell witches. Not only that, but there is no other recorded hanging of a witch for at least 10 years either side of that date in the whole of Derbyshire. So it may well be that from 100 years or so after the event, people were simply unsure of where the execution took place. And with good reason. Derby didn't have its own jail until 1652, when the Corn Market Jail was erected in the centre of the old medieval town. Before then, Derbyshire's criminals were taken to Nottingham's jail, adjacent to the Shire Hall. So this lack of, or perceived lack of evidence, and lack of documentary proof, when people have been searching for origins to the Bakewell story in Bakewell and Derbyshire itself, could have been folly from the very start, because it's entirely possible the whole end game of the Bakewell witches didn't take place in Derby at all, but in nearby Nottingham. In a history of witchcraft in England from 1558 to 1718, by Wallace Nolstein, another American researcher, there's a reference to the ambiguity around the number and location of Derbyshire hangings during the reign of King James I too, and he actually references the Bakewell case itself. We now turn to the question of the distribution of witchcraft in the realm during James's reign. Derby had several, the exact number we cannot learn, though the tale of the Bakewell witches is a very curious one, and though it cannot be confidently depended upon, may suggest how it was possible to avail oneself of superstition in order to repay a grudge. All that we really know about the Bakewell affair is that several witches probably suffered death there in 1607. And while it is unlike any other narrative of witchcraft, it is not necessarily without foundation. So 1607-1608, the truth is that this confusion of the dates in the story of the Bakewell witches, if anything, adds to the possibility that it's all true. It would have been at an assize court of 1608 that events from the end of 1607 were tried. So if we've established that the story of the Bakewell witches is, in context of such things, likely to have taken place, what do we really think happened? Well, there's a direct connection between the tailors of Derbyshire and London during the 1600s. It's in 1665 that a parcel of cloth arrives in Eam, a village just seven miles away from Bakewell, from London, that contains the fleas that spread the plague to Eam in that famous case of sacrifice regarding the inhabitants of Eam who close themselves off to the rest of the world in a bid to stop the plague spreading further. Those trade routes aren't going to change that much over that period of time, between 1607, 1608 and the 1660s. They're going to be long established, so we know that connection exists. Mrs Stafford, as a milliner, a hat maker, is going to be quite a well-known member of the community in Bakewell during the time. And the fact that she may have taken a lodger, well, I guess in industry, local cottage industry at that time, if you've got a spare room, you're going to let it out. But I think all these details kind of point to a story that sits somewhere between the two retellings, the more fanciful one and the more pragmatic. I can't see Mrs. Stafford, being a milliner as she was, taking some ragged clothes from a lodger in lieu of rent. So could it not be something more to do with a business deal? The lodger in the cellar may have only recently found his way to London, 
A six-day journey from Bakewell at best. Could it be that he was actually there on business on behalf of Mrs Stafford, but pocketed the money from the materials and planned to steal the goods instead? His dishevelled state, too, could have been the result of a night's drinking prior to the act, building up the courage he needed to put his plan into action. Then again, maybe he went there on orders from Mrs Stafford and simply lost the money in a bet or a fight, drank it away. But whatever the truth of the lodger's reasons, to accuse his Bakewell landlady of witchcraft lays bare the nature of his character for all to see. He would have known what could happen to her, indeed what was likely to happen to her, once he pursued that particular channel of accusation. Now far more typically in cases of the witch trials during the period, a supposed witch only gets hanged because of a murder or death, a bewitching, a curse. There's been some real mortal injury connected to the individual. So that Mrs Stafford and her sister were hanged not for anything as nefarious as being involved in a murder or a curse, but simply, and I put this inverted commas, but for simply being witches ultimately in the eyes of the magistrate, speaks to a very zealous streak in the judge that presided over the case. However the Bakewell case came into being, no matter how difficult the attainment of the record may be, the retelling of the tale has left one definitive name for us, a Mrs Stafford. The name's common in Derbyshire during the period, although markedly so at the village of Baslow more than in Bakewell, a village lying just over five miles southwest of the town, where during my research I noticed there was approximately five times the amount of Stafford births connected to it in the period between 1570 and 1600 than Bakewell itself. Could it be that the milliners of Bakewell had set up shop, having moved from nearby Baslow? In all likelihood, Mrs Stafford would have been tried at the Derby Assize of early 1608. And whilst the travelling court system that met four times a year would have likely been held in central Derby itself, as mentioned earlier, the detention of the accused prior to the trial would likely have taken place in Nottingham. It's long been held in local legend that it was at the gallows of St Peter Street in Derby that the witches ultimately met their end. And we shouldn't expect any recorded burial for people accused of witchcraft during the time. However, I have found a Joanna Stafford being buried on June the 3rd, 1608 at Etwell, a village barely eight miles away from the gallows of St. Peter Street. Until further transcriptions of any surviving Derbyshire records are made, we will glean no more insight into the story of the Bakewell witches. Yet irrespective of the record, I feel we can piece together more than enough content to say that the story itself, the story of the Bakewell witches, is likely to have been based on real, solid historical events. A business deal gone rogue. Accusations of devilry and teleportation. All quite incredible to us. But for the infamous lodger, the cellar watchman and the judge that presided over their trial, the story of the Bakewell witches was once deemed clinically, perfectly and terribly rational. My full research piece into the Bakewell witches can be found in my book, Mythstoric Origins, available both on Amazon and now via the web store on my website, thelocalmythstorian.com. Please consider signing up to the website because if you enjoy what I do, you'll find all sorts of things there in the members library regarding the local histories and folklore of Cheshire, Derbyshire and Staffordshire. You can find me on Twitter too, at TLMythStorian. It's been a real pleasure. Until next time.